Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hey, everybody. It feels good to be back in the studio again to give out another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm glad you're here, Bill. I'm wishing Mark was here with us, but he is still tied up between his trip to Pennsylvania and getting back into Florida. We miss you, Mark. We miss you. We do miss you. Thanks, Steve. It is good to be here. Mark is in Florida, I think, now, though, so he's getting closer. He is. He is. He's actually bogged down with an issue about a a cat. I think they found a cat or something, and it's got him tied up. He's taken the cat to the vet. So hopefully all works out well, Mark. I'm fighting a lame joke of a letting the cat out of the bag, but I won't. <laughs> I did. I did it, didn't I? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But tonight's podcast or today's podcast is going to pick up where we left off series of podcasts about First John. And in tonight's podcast, we were specifically going to go over... First John 1 9. And to be honest with you, this brings Bill and I back 30 years ago when we were actually First John 1 9 monsters. He got an embarrassing First John 1 9 past. The, yes, we do. Yes. yes, we do. We were monsters back then arguing First John with anybody and everybody. Till they ran away. Till they ran, or put our pictures on the wall at the church store. <laughs> yes, watch out stay for away these from these guys. I, I can hardly remember the issues now. I can hardly remember the issues, partly because of the stroke I had, but partly because I probably don't want to remember. The that's issues. probably why. Yeah, yeah, that's probably why. But as my grandmother used to say, we acted ugly. Yeah, yeah, but there was a lot of. First John 1 9 is a book about, is a passage about keeping short accounts. There was a lot of Christian soap. The Christian soap. What else? What were some of the other? Confessed up to date. Confessed up to date. Gnosticism. Oh, yeah, Gnosticism. We, we made a couple of jokes Beware about Gnosticism. Of Gnosticism. We shouldn't have made jokes last week. Yeah, yeah. That's but, not our style to. Make yeah. fun of things, but but we're really making fun of ourselves. Yes, and we were only making fun of the doctrine of Gnosticism, not people who were espousing Gnosticism. And what else was there? Short the, accounts. They won't be saved unless they've confessed. They, they'll be condemned. Or the 
lesser one at a certain church we used to go to in West Palm was if you have unconfessed sin, you probably are forgiven, but you've broken fellowship. Right. Until you restore that fellowship with yeah. some first John one nine soap. That that was the lesser of the two. And then the fact that it was Christian soap. Um, Remember how fellowship. we used to gather at our friend Rick's house yes. and we would pray, we would do that Acts prayer, 15 minutes of adoration and 15 minutes of confession and what was it, 15 minutes of thanksgiving. Then after 45 minutes later, then you could ask for what you wanted. Supplication. <laughs> you, you could do the Christmas thing. <laughs> But you had to praise and thank and beg and grovel and yeah, and, and yeah. confess before and all that. We actually went for and hours. And it was supposed to make us feel better. Yeah, we, we actually went for hours with each letter. We didn't get it out of there till midnight. And then we'd leave with some juicy gossip about yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those were the days. We, we, we did confess. that. We, we did that. Yeah, we did. And we were Christian monsters over First John 1, 9. I actually had a pastor tell me that once. He said, do you have anything else to talk about? But you always ask, is First John 1, 9 written to Christians? What do you think about First John 1, 9? It's not written to Christians, right? You believe that, right? <laughs> tell me. <laughs> and he called you out on it. Yeah, he asked, do you have anything else in the Bible that you'd like to bring up. We were such young Christians back then. Boy. But we were studying. We were studying hard, man. Learned a lot since then. Learned a lot. And hopefully we can get it out tonight because when it comes to why First John was written, we know a lot of reasons why yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And last week we we hit on why it was written. Yeah, yeah, and that's good stuff. It is good stuff, and it reminds me of a story that I'll tell, and then we'll go ahead and do the review. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, my sister got a job as a bank teller, and back then, counterfeit bills, counterfeit money was a problem. And I find this interesting that when they trained her, they didn't train her to what counterfeit money looked like. They trained her thoroughly on what the real stuff, the real bill, the real dollar bills look like. And when you get a hold of what the real dollar bills look like, then you have no trouble spotting counterfeit money, counterfeit bills. And it brings the purpose of First John, remember, was to have fellowship. And what we're going to review... And what we're going to continue to do is we'll know how to spot counterfeit fellowship because we're going to show you in this review and in First John what the real fellowship looks like. Authentic fellowship with the Spirit of God. Exactly. So let me review. In previous podcasts, we spent a lot of time talking about the two natures. We talked about Jesus talking about the good tree and the bad tree. The good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and the bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So he says, make the tree good or bad. Make the Call the tree what it is. The good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and the bad tree cannot bear. And it went right into two illustrations about out of the good man's heart and the bad man's heart. 
Yeah. We went into Galatians 5, I believe, didn't we? Yes. Yes, we did. Where it just talked plainly. It just, there, there's no symbolism or anything. He just tells you flat out what the the human nature and the spirit are like. And he, yeah, and he told you the acts of the flesh are obvious. This is how the flesh, this is what the flesh looks like. Yeah. Envy, strife, discourse, carousing, fighting, arguing, and everything else you hate about yourself. It just came out and said, and everything else. And then he went into, but the fruit of the spirit, the other nature. Love, the joy, tree. peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faith. Against such things, there's no law. Yes. So we sh- we saw that contrast. And then we went into 1 Corinthians 2, where it talks about the mm-hmm. the man without the spirit does not accept the things of God. They are foolishness to him. They are spiritually discerned. And it was telling us to literally how to study the Bible. It was saying, don't use your human intellect. The human person can't grasp these things, but we've been given the spirit that is from God, is what it said. And it said, use the spiritual nature. There again, we're still talking about these two natures, the cornerstone concept of the new covenant is this idea of our two natures, and it was telling us, learn the Bible by using your spiritual nature. Well, what you just said is so important to understanding the letter of First John. And we, we started out in First John 3. We went right for the hard-to-understand one. And it is hard to understand unless you're interpreting it through the two natures. Right, because otherwise you're condemning yourself and you're under a, a scrutiny that nobody could stand up under. It was thing Jesus said, be perfect. Unless you water it down and use this word habitually practice or practice to define. When it's not in First John, it wasn't there the, the idea of parazo wasn't and there, and the idea of poeo was there. If the person commits one single sin, he's in big trouble. He's a child of the devil. And it said, this is how the children of God and the children of the devil are made obvious. obvious. The one who commits a single sin is not of God. He's not been born of God because God can't commit a single sin because he's been born literally of the sperma of God. The entity in us cannot commit a single sin. And you can't come to that realization when you water down those two words that we went over, parazo and poieo, but we went over them. So it is clear that we're talking about two natures in 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Even though some of the newer translations opted out of the word poieo, which means a single time, the King James, Young's Literal, some of them have commits in. Some of the newer modern ones thought it would be good to put practice sin. They sissied out. They're girly man. Girly. (laughs) (laughs) And that comes with a lot of confusion. It creates a lot of confusion. And remember the story I told Steve is that they teach you how to recognize the real thing. And that's what the approach that 
John uses in First John 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and 5. He teaches you what the real thing looks like. And he starts by saying the person born of God, that nature, cannot commit a single sin. That was in 1 John 3, 9. That nature can't commit a a single single sin. sin. But the human nature practices sin. But the human nature practices sin. That's how you can spot it. And it was that word in 1 John 1, remember Fanaru? Yes. Rendered apparent? Yes, yes. It's the same word in Galatians 5. The acts of the flesh are fanaru, rendered apparent. They're obvious to spot. They're obvious to spot when you know that the new nature cannot commit a single sin. So when you see a single sin committed, you've spotted the the human nature. The human nature, the old nature, the sin nature, unregenerate nature, as some people say. Yes. And so what we're reviewing is important. Is apropos to learning about First John 1 9 because it is seen in so many different ways and will will show that it actually falls right in line with how the letter of First John began and how it continued. First John one seven through ten doesn't deviate no, from it doesn't. And that's why it's important to understand that the, the person born of God does not commit a single sin. The, the nat- entity born of God. Right. The new nature born of God, the spirit nature, the spirit of God in you does not commit a single sin. Christ in you, the hope of glory, does not, not commit a single sin. The person born of God is never going to let you down is completely dependable and without sin. That's what makes Galatians 3.3 so such an important verse. Are you so foolish after beginning in the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal of good fellowship by human effort? And then on the, yeah, (laughs) are you so foolish? Foolish. That would be moronic again. Moronic is the word, yes. So let me just go over the controversial ways in which First John is looked at. First, the scholars like to go with the idea that the letter is battling Gnosticism, mainly because of verse 2, where it says, we touch this guy with our hands. But there's also the idea that he was speaking to non-Christians, the idea that you're condemned if you do not confess your sins, Another idea was that you break fellowship. You're not condemned, but you break fellowship with God if you do not confess your sins. And then some people take the ball and run with it, going towards keeping short accounts. You got to keep up to date with all that confessing you got to do. You got to confess every day, every week. You got to keep it short. Keep your accounts small. Don't owe God much at all. <laughs> Those are pretty much the five different ways in which First John 1, 6 through 10 are looked at. You forgot soap, the Christian soap. Oh, we can't forget soap. We, we no. need our soap. Without the soap, you got no hope. 
First John one nine is the Christian, Christian soap. soap. Soap for the Christian. Soap for the Christian. Yep. So let's tackle these. All right. That's the first one. I think you brought up was Gnosticism, and it's combined with dualism a lot of time. And it's a very scholarly one to bring up. So let's tackle that one first, Bill. What is Gnosticism? Okay. I don't know, but I'm going to read from this scholar because it sounds good. We'll use a a scholarly voice if you're going to read scholarly literature, Bill. (laughs) I'll try. Okay. Based on the internal evidence of 1st and 2nd John, a problem had arisen within the church, possibly throughout Asia Minor. We know from such church history that near the end of the 1st century and in the early 2nd century, proto-Gnosticism, specifically Docetism, arose within the church. (laughs) This is cited by Bruce in 1617 and Burdick in 6163 and Williamson in 50 again. In later years, this developed into a theological system known as Gnosticism. Its teaching blended Greek dualism with Eastern mysticism. It adopted into the dualistic view that only the non-material or spirit was good, while anything material was evil. Along with this came Eastern mysticisms, Focus on secret knowledge reserved only for the chosen few. Though present in seminal form in the late 1st century, it blossomed into full expression in the middle and later 2nd century. And that's, of course, from Burdick in 54 and 60. Oh, Lord. Of his studies. By the middle of the 2nd century, Steve, Gnosticism and its adherents were producing their own Gospels and epistles of which the Gospels of Thomas and Gospel of Judas are examples. John appears to have anticipated Gnosticism. He must have been a prophet. <laughs> I can't well, there's help our laugh. First. I can't help but laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Is this <laughs> saying what I think it's saying, yeah, Steve? Yeah, go ahead and keep reading. I'm sorry. I didn't well, that. right off the bat, when John was writing this, there was no Gnosticism. <laughs> yeah, saying there, there wasn't. He was anticipating all this. I kid you not. He says, John appears to have anticipated Gnosticism. <laughs> okay, we've read enough, haven't we? It, it, oh, there's a little more. Okay, go for it. Use a scholarly voice. Yeah, yeah. A modification of the docetic view of Jesus was proclaimed by a false teacher in Ephesus named Serenthus. His false doctrine, known as Serenthianism, <laughs> beware of Centurionism. Yeah, yeah, you Centurionists. Yes, those were fighting words. Yeah, was an early form of adoptionism and taught that Jesus was a human upon whom the Christ Spirit descended at his baptism. It was this Spirit of Christ that then empowered Jesus in his ministry. Then, just before Jesus' crucifixion, the Christ spirit departed from the man. Jesus was subsequently died on the cross. So while Jesus died, the Christ neither suffered nor died on the cross, but only appeared to have died. Such phrases as what our hands handled, 
in 1 John 1, 1 are the support given that this letter was written. I'm getting back into my normal voice. So all this is based on 1 John 1, 1 and 1 John 4, 2. Exactly, Bill. Just because 1 John said, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we have beheld and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Sounds like a defense against Gnosticism to me. Yeah, just because they said we touched this guy, these scholars arguing from silence just make up all this stuff and and even say he, he must have been thinking that Gnosticism would come up in the future, and he was battling Gnosticism. Before it even was an issue. And they say that's why the letter was written. When the very next phrase says, we write this letter to make your joy complete when we're fellowshipping, he tells you why the letter was written. Usually when someone says, I'm writing you to blank. Yeah. They, the blank is the reason, reason he's writing, writing you. the letter. Yes. In other words, otherwise it, it would say, I'm writing you because this false teaching of Gnosticism and dualism is right around the running corner. Running rampant. Yeah. Well, not running rampant. It hadn't happened yet. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is funny, man. That's funny. But you, you see. They, but I said that, Steve, to people. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Well, that's true. We in a way, did it's do not that funny. Then, didn't we? Guilty. Yeah, in a way, it's not funny. Guilty. Guilty. You know why I did it? Because it sounded good. Yeah. I didn't it actually sounded go. sounded scholarly. It sounded scholarly, and they must know they're scholars. Yes. So we went around trying to sound scholarly when the letter just made fools of us. It just told us why he was writing the letter. We said he's writing the letter to battle Gnosticism, and because off we these went with our... Gnostics the Gnostics don't think words. they have a sin nature right. because only the physical is evil. Yeah, and the and, whole time... And a nature is not physical, so John is writing this letter to correct them and tell them that you do have a sin nature, and that Gnosticism is wrong. (laughs) But he doesn't mention Gnosticism. No, no, we mentioned Gnosticism. We said the letter's about this and the letter's about that when the letter itself told us exactly what it was about. He said, I want you to have fellowship with us, and I want our fellowship to be with God and his son, Jesus. I write this to make your joy complete. He tells us why he writes the letter, and it had nothing to do with Gnosticism. Should we keep beating that horse or move on to the next one? Let's give him a break because he's going to take another beating a little Later in chapter four. (laughs) Okay, okay. Let him heal first. So which one should we do next? I think the next one is that 1 John is written to Christians, but when it gets to verse 9, 8, 9, and 10, he's addressing non-Christians. Say that again, Bill. (laughs) Okay. He's addressing Christians about... Non-Christian. He, he's, he, yes, yes, he's talking to Christians, but he takes a sidebar to address non-Christians in 8, 9, and 10. Yeah. So it is to Christians, 
But three verses are about non-Christians. Yeah. Can you remember when we used to argue that, Bill? Do you remember those? Days? Oh, emphatically. Yeah. No, 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 no. No. no First John night is not written to Christians. Yeah. Yeah, we were trying, man. Oh, it we is written trying. to Christians about non-Christians. Yeah, yeah. So He did call us dear children <laughs> all through the book. Okay, so it is written to Christians. Oh yeah, but this but, one but eight, nine, and ten were written to non-Christians. It's the sidebar to yeah, non-Christians. Yeah. Well, why? Why did we? Why did we say that? Why? I don't even remember. I don't. Re- Somehow we figured we, it out we, that yeah, this well, must be what makes it make sense because there was so much we didn't know about the Bible. We did not know back then about how much of the New Testament was written about our human nature. In our spiritual nature. That's why. That's why we were still picking daisies with our salvation. We thought there was no eternal security. Matter of fact, we thought if we didn't keep up to date with our confessions, we lost our security. Remember that? You lost your eternal security or at least broke fellowship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we went through the whole broke fellowship for a year or so. Those were the days. But it, it... these all tie into our trouble discerning Jesus saying it is finished and all our sins being paid for on the cross and then saying, well, what about people? How do they get to be Christians? They have to confess their sins. Look at all the scriptures we ignored when we started down that road. That was the first. That's we should our go first over some, mistake. Yeah, yeah, we should go over some of those. Let's do that. I believe Hebrews will show us why we cannot interpret it, 1 John 1, 6 through 10, as being a recipe for how non-Christians get saved by confessing their sins. It'll allow us to know that we need to think of another reason that 1 John 1, 6 through 10 was written. Maybe then we can figure out why it was really written, why those few verses were really written. So with that in mind, let's go to Hebrews and look at the scriptures that this idea of 1 John does not harmonize with, does not harmonize with. So here's the verse. It's Hebrews 9, let's say, 23 and 24, or 20, let's say 22 through 24. Okay. This is a little bit of text that does not harmonize itself with the interpretation we were giving 1 John 1, 6 through 10. And you'll, you'll see why when I read it. It says, and according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You can't have sins forgiven without the shedding of blood. It goes on to say, therefore, it was necessary for the copies of of the things in heaven to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. For Christ did not 
enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often. Offer himself often. He wasn't going to do it over and over. So if you confess your sins, would that give you get you saved? Not unless your mouth was bleeding, I guess, <laughs> according to this verse. Because <laughs> without the shedding of blood. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's what they meant. It meant Jesus shed his blood, and he only did it one time, not often. He shed his blood. So that directly contradicts what you and I were thinking of 30 years ago when we were thinking that we have to confess our sins to be forgiven. So this means that we're not interpreting it, First John right. We have to interpret it differently. We can't do the forgiven part. They're not forgiven. They're not because forgiven. without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. forgiveness. How about the broken fellowship? Meaning yeah. you're forgiven, right? But your fellowship is broken. Your fellowship is broken fellowship. Let's see if this lines up, Steve. Yes. Okay, you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. So positionally, you're good. Remember that positional truth. And, yeah. Positional truth. Mm-hmm. So positionally, your vertical mm-hmm. is still good. <laughs> but your horizontal <laughs> is suffering yes. because with all that unconfessed sin... You're forgiven, but you've broken fellowship. Right, right. You've broken your intergalactic fellowship. Your intergalactic <laughs> fellowship. Your vertical. Thir- he's in the third heaven, and we're down here fellowshipping with him across all the galaxies. Well, here's how it works, Steve. <laughs> Go ahead. That's funny. This is why you need to keep short accounts. Short accounts. It's not because of the forgiveness, because we just said that. that Mm -hmm. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And by one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, he sat down. That's done. Okay? We're there, right? We're done. Our position is good, but our condition is not so good. Your position and your condition. Your position is good. Mm Mm-hmm. Your condition, not so good. That's the broken fellowship. Positionally, you're still forgiven. Conditionally, you've broken fellowship. So what do we need? To confess. To to restore that. That's where the Christian soap comes in, Steve. Uh Uh-huh. 1 John 1, 9. Cleanses us. Is the Christian bar of soap. Because it says cleanse. It says cleanse. Right. Can we go to some other places that talk about being cleansed and see if they line up too? With the interpretation of this passage being that we're breaking fellowship with God, the God who's in the third heaven, we're breaking fellowship with him. And when we confess, then we restore fellowship with him up there on the throne. So let me... Just try to tie some thoughts together, Bill, just so that this makes sense. What Hebrews 
causes us to do is come to the conclusion that if we're interpreting 1 John 3, 7 through 10, to say if we confess our sins, we can restore fellowship with God. The reason that doesn't work is because of the things said in Hebrews 9 and 10. Okay, and can I correct you? Yes, Always. I think he meant to say First John one seven through ten. I think he said yeah. Three. Okay, okay, yeah. First John one seven through ten. We don't have to break fellowship over it or anything, but right. Okay, so let me just cite these verses that won't allow us to interpret First John one seven through ten as confessing our sins to restore fellowship. Yes. The first one would be like Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin to restore fellowship. Hebrews 9.24, he did not enter a holy place made with that made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us, nor was it that he should appear often, he will not appear often. Or let me cite a couple more in Hebrews. Hebrews 9.26, Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. If we had this mentality that we have to confess our sins every time we want to or make a sacrifice ever time our conscience of committing a sin it says he would have needed to suffer often since then but now once at the consummation of the ages he has been manifested to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself and as much as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him without reference to sin. He was he offered himself once. And when it says he's coming back a second time, the, the Greek is actually saying that he appears a second time, which is when he appears in spiritual form, actually, not he appears, he will appear at the end of time. We're not talking about that. We're actually saying he appears in our present day reality, in our day-to-day experience. He appears right through us the the second time he starts appearing again without he, reference to sin without reference to sin it it's the issue of sin is taken care of is no longer an issue in the second covenant you've got to remember we've got a cornerstone concept of the second covenant to realize and that's your sins and lawless deeds i will remember no more the idea that we've had Every time we looked at 1 John in any of these different ways, we were trying to say that 1 John was dealing with sin. And that's the number one fault right there, because the letter of 1 John is not dealing with sin. That had already been dealt with. And we thought 1 John 1, 6 through 10 
was bringing that back up and it wasn't. So eventually we're going to look at first John six through one, six through 10 without that lens and without reference to sin, without reference to sin. We're or, just going to say he, he meant it when he said without reference to sin. Yeah. Or we're going to put this idea of sin in its proper place because we do need to look at eternal doctrines and temporal doctrines to see where the idea of sin, which is mentioned in First John, fits in. It fits in in the realm of temporal doctrines, and we're going to have to rightly divide what's going on in First John as it regards to eternal and temporal doctrines. We've got to get a handle on our eternal and temporal doctrines to understand this passage in first john and we will so with that in mind we'll just devote the next podcast to gaining an understanding of our eternal and temporal doctrines see just exactly what they are and what the ramifications of these two types of doctrines are. So with the understanding that we'll do that in the next podcast, should we just close in prayer, Bill? I think this is a good place. We've got two keys down and a couple more to finally unlocking First John. So, Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, first of all, that you're our teacher. Thank you that we need not that any man should teach us, especially two guys with brain damage. <laughs> yeah. Thank you that you don't need a man to teach us, but your anointing, the Spirit, teaches us all things, and it teaches us to remain in you, depend on your Spirit. And I pray that the information and the fun we had doing it, making fun of ourselves, your Holy Spirit would would take all of that and make it understandable by giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of you. Enlighten our eyes so that we would see the hope held out in First John. We would see the hope of our calling, the inheritance that is talked about in First John, and the incomparably great power that first john talks about that power that's available to us when we learn that he's talking about fellowshipping in the spirit living the christian life by the spirit give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation enlighten our eyes so we would see all these hope the power and the riches that are hidden in this letter not hidden but hidden but veiled because of trying to understand them from a natural mind point of view. We need your spirit, Father God, to give us the understanding of this letter. And we know that you're going to come through with us in spite of us. In Jesus' name, we ask all this. Amen.